Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissoff and this week's episode focuses on digital payments and customer journeys throughout Asia. Sarah Hollinshead caught up with thought leaders from the recent Global Digital Banking Conference in Singapore to discuss these trends and more. Guests include Jonathan Koh, Head of Segment Development at OCBC Bank, Rahul Bagara, Director for Payment Market Initiatives Asia Pacific at SWIFT, AP Ng, Managing Director for FavePay Singapore, Louis Liu, Managing Director FOMO Pay, and Raina Jung, Product Marketing Lead at Facebook. Sarah Hollinshead here at the Global Digital Banking Conference in Asia, in Singapore today, and I'm joined by Jonathan Coe, who heads up segment development for OCBC. So you've just come off stage, taking part in a panel called Omni Digital is the New Black. So talk to me about that, the, the difference between Omni Digital and Omni Channel. You know, what stage are we at as an industry and what do banks such as OCBC need to do to succeed in this space? I think for this digital development, right, it is important that the customer becomes the, the centre of what we're trying to do. Mm. And, and customer doesn't interact with banks through just one channel. They interact with banks through multi-channels, omni-channels. And the trick here is how, how do we make the experience seamless? How do we develop an institutional memory where whichever channel that you interact with, the banks remembers? Mm. So therefore, from a customer viewpoint, it's, you know, I don't need to repeat. The bank knows what I want. And therefore, you know, the satisfaction level in terms of um, banking becomes great. Yeah. So what do the banks need to do to succeed here in practical terms? I think that the bank that can actually execute this best will win. Mm. Best in terms of whenever customer comes in, they are able to interact customer as in, you know, the last channel just drop off and you, you pick it up and you're able to interact with customers as in it's the same person. So that to me could be the future, mm. but I also can imagine it is not that easy. Yeah. I mean, there's something that we do aim to try to actually achieve over time. Mm. And you come from a unique perspective. So your recent career has been very much focused on the affluent segment, sort of wealth banking. So what are we seeing as a difference here in your particular customer set in terms of trends of usage and perceptions and demands around digital and banking? From my view, yeah, affluent customers is really similar to all of us mm. uh, in terms of the additional needs. They need to do the transactions. Uh, they need to pay people money, they need to actually deposit or transfer money, that's the same. What, what I think for the affluence segment is their wealth needs is, is bigger yeah. because they have more money, right? So therefore, from the bank's viewpoint, how do I service them better? And digital becomes a, a assistant in terms of helping me to communicate to customers mm. in, the, in a more promptly manner. I don't think it replaces the need for advisory from the RM. Uh, the RM would be the sole face that customers trust right. and therefore we, we need to help the RM enable the RMs uh, with the same digital tools uh, so that they are able to actually engage customer better and more timely. Mm. It's about that combination, isn't it, in terms of customer service. And there's sort of a lot of fintech innovation in this market and lots of new entrants that have become massive players. And therefore, there's you know separate banking apps, dependent apps, e-card apps, loyalty apps. So what is your thought on really consolidating this into you know an all-in-one app, essentially? In the longer term, I, I think that, that that makes sense. From a customer experience viewpoint, I mean, the, the fact that 
customers primarily use only seven apps in their phone. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a key thing, and a banking app is not one of the seven. And the key thing is when customer thinks about a banking need, right? You want to be that one app that they have it in their phone. Yeah. Uh, it will be a challenge to get them to actually download three or four apps. In, yeah. in that sense, I think what banks should do is not so much of, of, of creating apps, but actually getting involved as part of the customer's daily journey. Mm. Uh, in other words, if you someone wakes up, they don't look at apps, but what they do, they go to they, they go to their emails, they go to the, the social media, uh, or they get notified. So those are the places where banks, I think, can play a role in telling and informing customers on what happened mm. and what should they do. Uh, uh, most importantly, I think uh, where there's a need if customers were to, to sound off through their notifications or an email, that's where the bank should quickly get back to customers and try yeah. to address those needs. It's about going to where the customer already is, essentially. Correct, correct. And yes, I'm sure everybody's fighting to be that one main app that gets up to the top seven that customers use, absolutely. That's, that's true, true, because the idea here is true. The traditional banking, you get engagement. Through engagement, customers put more money with you. And when they have more money with you, there are more changes that we can cross-sell. Yeah. And that's where you make money through a wealth management. That's right. That's the profitability <laughs> that's, that's model. The, that's the money part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much right. for joining us today at the event and on the podcast, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Sarah Hollinshead here for the Global Digital Banker. I'm pleased to be joined by Rahul Bargaf of SWIFT, uh, who has just left the stage at the Global Digital Banking Conference Asia here in Singapore on a fantastic session focused on international remittance. So thanks so much for joining us at the event and for joining me today for the interview, Rahul. Thanks, Sarah. So tell us about what's happening in international remittance. What are some of the exciting trends that we're seeing and, and what specifically is SWIFT doing to drive this innovation across the Asia region? Great question, Sarah. Um, the biggest change that's happening in global cross-border payments is something called GPI, or Global Payments Innovation. This is an initiative which is led by the banking community globally and SWIFT is supporting it. Discussion actually started in 2015 at Cyboss when a group of banks and SWIFT you know, decided to look at what are the problems that our customers are facing in cross-border payments and, and really how we can fix it. They quickly realized that from a technology perspective, there are not many challenges because today SWIFT can process a message between two banks anywhere globally in, within two seconds. Yeah. And that's securely, resiliently, and you know, with full encryption standards, etc. So the discussion quickly landed on there's obviously business process friction at the banks related to various aspects like compliance, related to FX, etc., which needs to be solved. And if it can be, potentially the process will be much better for the customer. Out of this came out what's called GPI today. It's basically a set of rules that banks who join up agree to and which fixes certain key issues like speed. So the banks who join agree that they will credit the customer within the same day. It fixes real-time tracking. So all the transactions that are processed by a bank will be uh, updated in a cloud-based tracker that Swift maintains. The information that is uh, being included in these transactions will be unaltered by the banks. And a fourth promise that the banks make when they join GPI is about having these fees applied on these payments to be transparent. Yeah? So with these four promises or SLAs, banks launched GPI. That was 2015. It went live in 2017. And today I'm, I'm really proud to report that we are now with 270 banks signed up, uh, which is about 80% of the global cross-border flows on SWIFT. And, uh, you know, as you know, on SWIFT, every three days there was GDP revolves. So that's a significant <laughs> amount um, and, and volume. The uh, payments today, you know, they're 
uh, in terms of speed, they really surprised us, right? We started with one day promise, and we now realize that uh, nearly about half of those payments are actually getting processed within 30 minutes, uh, and many in seconds. So the realization very quickly was that the technology you know, being not a problem very quickly translates to a business process being efficient as well. Yeah. And banks today can process these cross-border payments in seconds yeah? with everything in terms of control, security in place. Now, what we're doing additionally is we are actually now building on top of this uh, core foundation layer and we are adding some uh, exciting, you know, innovative things. Uh, one of them is, for example, functionality to stop and recall a payment, mm -hmm. to also, um, you know, connect with other real-time payment networks in, in various countries so that GPI, which is already fast, payments in seconds, connects to another 24 by 7 payment in seconds rail and end-to-end -end, the process is seamless and really fast. We've just completed a test uh, and announced at Cybos that we've achieved connectivity between um, payments being sent from Singapore, Thailand and China to Australia and getting processed further via NPP, which is the faster payment system there, all together within 18 seconds, end to end. And this is only test, right? So we expect greater things in production. But exciting times, and then, you know, the, the other piece we're working on is more on the innovation agenda on, on this um, on GPI platform. It'll obviously scale to multiple other markets, and this connectivity with real-time payment systems will also scale to other markets, we're already discussing. Uh, we're also exploring emerging technologies like APIs and DLT, uh, or blockchain technology, to see where we can actually deploy, and there are multiple proof of concepts at play. APIs are already used extensively, uh, and also we are running some proof of values with fintechs to build some overlay services on top. Things like a request for payment cross-border, which can be linked very closely to a trade payment uh, and enable basically faster straight through processing and reconciliation of payments. So a lot of great stuff and uh, you know we're really looking forward to exciting times ahead. It's brilliant. You certainly are a central key partner to a lot of banks. Those numbers are significant and also increasingly with fintechs. You were sharing the stage with Revolut and TransferWise, two very leading global brands that have really taken this international remittance market by storm. So where do you see organizations such as these fitting into the larger ecosystem? Should the banks be, you know, wary? Should the banks be looking to partner? What's your view on that? I think it's healthy to have innovative new business models coming to play. And I think that uh, both TransferWise and Revolut have their own spaces in which they operate in the remittances space uh, and the virtual card space, for example. I think it's, it's important for banks and the wider banking community to you know, keep engaged and ensure that these models are, one, are learning, you know, to ensure that um, the community remains competitive and continues to evolve. Uh, and secondly, to also look at it from a competition versus a cooptation perspective to see if um, other combined or you know, cooperative models are possible. And so your main focus is in the Asia region but obviously Swift, a massive global company. Where do you see Asia against other key regions in terms of innovation in this space? I think I actually feel quite lucky that I'm in Asia because there's a lot happening in this uh, region. In fact, um, you know, I just spoke to you about the cross-border real-time initiative. We have actually seen the maximum thrust and push from this region for that kind of initiative, and it's because of the multiple markets and, and diverse markets at that, uh, you know, undergoing uh, payments modernization and you know, looking at uh, real-time emerging technologies. Um, the markets like Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, Japan even, who are looking at very new and emerging you know, payment models and new evolving uh, technologies as well. In addition, there are a lot of regional drivers, right? So you have, uh, for example, the whole ASEAN conversation on yeah. connectivity between real-time uh, markets. And there's uh, you know, obviously a great opportunity here 
to uh, you know take the whole momentum in various markets and bring it together with uh, services which can be common. We are working on uh, you know using our cross-border real-time service, for example, uh, for various use cases, including ASEAN integration as well, right? So we're already talking to the ASEAN states and the banks to see if, if that's applicable and how it can be used. And also in terms of uh, you know supporting local domestic payment systems like RTGSs, ACHs, and faster payment systems to evolve connectivity with these networks as well. So we have our interface solutions, which can which are multi-networked and real-time enabled, and uh, also in terms of uh, you know other services and and uh, you know uh, analysis of actual data on swift as well we have multiple services coming along mm-hmm. even on the lines of security there are many other you know initiatives that are supporting uh, more secure and and uh, a better risk management for payments yeah. all this gets applied to asia on top of what is happening in terms of renewal so again you know i believe that asia is very very well placed there's a lot of uh, you know new developments and i think swift is very well placed to support the banking community with greater things in the future mm. yeah the content coming out today is certainly exciting it's a great place to be. Thank you so much for your thoughts, Rahul. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, sir. Good to be here. Sarah Hollinshead here for the Global Digital Banker and speaking to a fantastic group of innovators at the Global Digital Banking Conference in Singapore who have just been talking about the rise of super apps and new apps which has taken the Asian market by storm. So pleased to be joined by Raina Jung of Facebook, AP Ng of FavePay and Louis Liu of FOMOPay. So three incredible brands. So to kick off with, how are super apps evolving in Southeast Asia and which industry player, obviously you'll be backing yourselves, but which industry players do you think will be coming out on top? So I see three different patterns here, especially in Southeast Asia. First is we cannot talk about super app without talking about ride-sharing apps, obviously. Uh, they started with basically a very simple service connecting passengers and then drivers. However, they quickly evolved into food delivery uh, and then a lot of different on-demand uh, services such as like basically with one click, you order a uh, service such as a massage and then you get massaged. <laughs> That's one. And then the second me, I see very similar patterns for messaging apps. So they started with connecting people through commu- as a communication channel, but they're quickly also evolving into payment area, as well as a lot of very similar on-demand services. Third, payments app itself. So they're creating a lot of different use cases and then make a very seamless payment journey. But based on that, like uh, they can easily make e-commerce like marketplace and then also we've seen that they also come up with their own messaging app afterwards. So I see those three patterns, but whoever come up with more frequent daily use cases, there will be a better position to win in the end. Uh, yeah, um, so very similar to what Reina was uh, talking about. I think it's really about the high frequency of use case. So if you take a look at how um, super apps evolved in China, right? And starting with Alipay and WeChat Pay, it was really behind a use case. So WeChat Pay started with messaging and Alipay more e-commerce related. Then from there, it just went on and on and on, right? And also there are like uh, apps like Meituan. So they're more like deal space. And, and now they, and then they went into like high frequent use case like the movie tickets. Uh, and now they are really uh, huge uh, on food delivery, right? And innovated upon that, uh, not just bikes, but people, uh, electric scooters and stuff like that, right? And I know that quite intimately because I've 
have met some of the senior people there, right, on a few occasions. So I think it's really about high-frequency use case. And I think in this part of Southeast Asia, you've got companies like Grab and Gojek, right, really starting off from the base of transportation, going multiple ways and more use cases. I think that's going to be the key drivers. And then from face perspective, we're very similar to Mate One, where we started from a deal space. And because we acquired Groupon's assets, and we evolved to create FaithPay, which is kind of like uh, really on its on its own trajectory, uh, which is affecting maybe about one transaction every four or five seconds in Singapore alone. So as long as you've got high use case, uh, then you've got a huge opportunity to kind of lay on more and more services to value add to the customer. That's how it's going to be. So for Fumobi itself, we are not a consumer products. We are more facing the merchant side to help the merchant to provide one-stop uh, payment, digital wallet payment aggregator solution because there are too many different kinds of digital wallet in the market. So starting from 2015, we start to realize there are only a few credit card brands is enough for you to start to do your business. But starting from 2015, there are more and more digital wallet coming to the market. Then starting from that time, we start to realize more and more super apps, even though they are not banking apps, they are not financial institution apps, start to have the payment function inside. So we start to work with WeChat Pay, Alipay, like Grab, when they first launched in Singapore, we are their first channel partner here. Now we just realized that in Singapore itself, there are already 20 plus super apps, which already have payment function, which means there are 20 plus payment apps in Singapore now. I went to India, there are 89 payment wallets in <laughs> India, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, there are all more than 30 plus wallets. It's not just for payment, it's, it starts from like right sharing apps, it starts from the Groupon, similar, uh, this kind of apps. But we just see that payment is going to become a more and more critical functions for non-financial institution apps or super apps to move into this sector and to give their users more reason to stay within their ecosystem. That's why we put our company name as Fear of Missing Out, which we believe there will be more and more <laughs> wallets to come into the market. So we've identified there those sort of three key routes, haven't we? So ride-sharing apps, messaging apps, and e-commerce, really everyone is looking across the globe at these particular brands, some of which you've mentioned, and particularly e-commerce. So, you know, it has the potential to support growth in this region and also make growth more sustainable. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, on whether you think e-commerce will continue to expand within Asian apps or will Western technologies such as Amazon, such as Facebook, win larger market share? How do you see this evolving and particularly with collaborative work across the ecosystem? E-commerce is definitely growing and they're really, really fast and a lot faster in this region. In that ecosystem, I think Facebook has a very unique role to play. We are very, very good at connecting people and then connecting people with the businesses they care about. But from that moment, if you think about all the e-commerce journey that consumers are going through today, it's not necessarily going through the whole like formal system. So they start discovering the product they like on, for example, Facebook newsfeed or Instagram, and then they immediately start talking to the businesses and then they move on to either WhatsApp or Messenger or other messaging apps. During this journey, there's a lot of manual things happening, yeah. but they're quite used to it and they, they like it in a way. So there's a lot of the stats actually published out there. McKinsey actually came up with an informal e-commerce. They estimated at $3 billion, uh, out of total $8 billion e-com transaction in Indonesia particularly. And th- similarly in Thailand, also they came up with a number around the $4 billion. 
and then it's expected to grow very much. So while we are playing in a very uh, unique role in this journey, I think it's very important for us to think about how we can collaborate with other players in the ecosystem to make it even more seamless. Very specific example, we in Thailand, we recently worked with KBank to make the payment part very seamless within a messenger particularly because organically they've been already transacting within a messenger, but very manually. What they do is basically they capture whatever product they like to buy and then they message and then the seller provide the bank account information, which is normally like from 11 to 13 digits. How are you going to remember that? Uh, so you, you either go to ATM or you open your banking app and then send the money to the sellers. But we wanted to make it more seamless. So we worked with the key bank and then you can pay a while faster while you are having conversation within a messenger. So I think this is a very good example how we can be more collaborative and then grow the market even faster. Yeah, and I echo what Rayner was mentioning. I think it's about collaboration. I feel that those who collaborate smartly and more willing to do that and execute faster is going to win, right? So I think this space, so I can comment uh, from Faith's perspective, you know, I think we are collaborating already with a few companies, right? One is that we're collaborating with uh, Carousel, which is peer-to-peer selling. We're working with like Popcom Movie Booking app in Singapore, with Lazada, which is e-commerce uh, platform. And how we collaborate with them is that we've got like 30 over 1,000 deals, right? In Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and a lot of portals out there, they want to monetize. So one best way is to kind of like work with us. Uh, and when we power them with our deals, when customers from their platform purchase it, we give them a percentage revenue share. So it's win-win-win. So I think that's how it's going to work. Uh, and I think for collaboration, another reason why they're going to drive more and more of that is that I think companies realize that they're really good at what they do and they expand outside of their scope. It's going to take more time and resources. It's going to be slow. And if you're not fast enough, you'll lose. These are two drivers to why there's going to be more collaboration. And when you do that, then there's a lot more value across the ecosystem for consumers to, to platforms, to app. And maybe I'll share a little bit about our collaboration with GrabPay. To a lot of people, they think, whoa, Grab isn't that your competitor to FaithPay? Yeah. Right? We're all QR codes, mobile payments after all, right? Um, yeah, but if you look at it from a perspective of a customer, in this case, if you are already a Grab user and if you can now use your GrabPay credits on Faith when you buy a deal or you make some transaction, wouldn't you be happy? If you're a customer already, you would. As far as Faith is concerned, it's a win for us as well because as a customer, you can then suddenly not just have credit card, debit cards uh, or PayPal as your mode of payment. If you've got some money in your Grab wallet, you can start using it. So it's a win. And also it helps us to expand into markets where Faith can't really touch. For example, the unbanked or someone who is younger who may not have a credit card or debit card. So Grab has multiple ways that you can top up their wallet. So we're just leveraging off the system right, and the solutions that we've built. I just want to share examples now. So basically now, Southeast Asia is becoming the most uh, high potential growth regions. And more and more, I will say the China company or US company or Europe company are coming here to expand their business. They're all surprised. I mean, people here don't use credit card. Actually, most of the people here don't use credit card. The penetration rate of credit card, that's in Vietnam itself, is below 2%. In China, it's below 10%. How could you make business? before you can collect money. So it's a pinpoint. I mean, the first problem they need to solve whenever you want to do business in Southeast Asia. So now, the first thing they are here, they need to be more collaborative. They need to be more open, okay? So they need to come and integrate with the local preferred popular payment mode. That's why I would say now more and more digital wallet come into the market, make it easy for those underbank people to top up the money into the wallet instead of topping up the money into the bank account. So this global companies start to be more and more localized and start to know more 
about the ground level, what's happening, and in order to really compete with the local grown different kind of startup or different kind of company, they start to be more open. I would say to be more collaborative, especially from the payment side. Okay, so that's one of the observations we have, and we are very happy to see this. So basically, it's a cultural thing, and they used to just accept credit card, like Rina just now mentioned. But when they come here, they see the market, how the people uh, work, how the people live, then they will realize yes, this is something they need to change and they need to adapt to. And I'll just uh, add on to what Louis has mentioned. Uh, so, like for example, when we collaborated with GrabPay to kind of link the wallet just two days ago. Uh, we already have a use case where a customer who has uh, been using Grab uh, load up 500 Singapore dollars, and the risk of money in there being stuck and not doing, you know, use it over like a six-month period, just dissipates, right? Now you can use it on Faith app and do multiple things: buy your food, uh, you know, lunches, your food massages, and you can just use that up within a week. So it's a win-win-win-win. Absolutely fantastic when there's more collaboration. Yeah. And so all of these companies that are looking to expand in the Southeast Asia region, they're all coming in with a problem to solve. So if you had to sum up, what, what is the problem that you and your organization is trying to solve? From Faith's perspective, I think for us, it's really about optimizing the customer journey and the experience that they get. We're talking about personalization, uh, more social commerce related to it. For formal problem we want to solve is there are too many digital wallets in the market. So how to make it easy for the merchant, no matter it's an online e-commerce or it's a mobile app or it's just a physical outlet like the duty-free shops, to have one single point of contact to connect, to accept all these kind of digital wallets. My perspective based on the focus area currently, which is business platform and messaging product. So we definitely want to enable more small businesses by providing better tools on our platform. Therefore, they can grow faster and bigger. But while we are doing that, the biggest challenge that I have is building true empathy while we are building it. Because building one thing and also truly experiencing what we built is very different thing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a brilliant panel and a great interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view more content on the podcast, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. For updates on upcoming episodes, check us out on Twitter at GDB Podcast or on LinkedIn under RFI Group. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.